0: Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts.
1: We interrupt this program for a CBS radio net alert bulletin. This is Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King died tonight in Memphis, Tennessee after being shot in the face by an unknown assailant on the balcony in front of a downtown hotel a short while ago. Associated Press, as Assistant Police Chief Henry Lux of Memphis, confirmed Dr. King's death. Reverend Dr. King, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, was 39 years old. He was in Memphis to lead demonstrations in sympathy with a prolonged strike by municipal garbage men, most of them Negro. Police at last report were still
0: looking for a young white male who was seen running from the scene of the shooting. We'd call that coverage breaking news today, but on April 4th, 1968... That journalistic term of art didn't exist. For most, 1968 would feel like the United States was coming apart at the seams. The Tet Offensive in Vietnam, wild political conventions, and assassinations. First Dr. King, then Senator Robert Kennedy. Both great men would have ties to Kansas in 1968. Kennedy, as we talked about on a previous archiver, gave his first speech in Kansas after he announced his presidential run. King would start his year at Kansas State University on January 19th at convocation at a jam-packed Ahern Fieldhouse. King came away impressed and heartened by the students he met that day in Manhattan. But we didn't know how impressed until decades later when handwritten notes found in the suit jacket he was wearing the night he was shot surfaced, notes directly tied to Kansas State. All of the K-State people responsible for his Ahern speech are in those notes, University President James McCain, the head of the political science department, William Boyer. And his words that cold morning in Manhattan are as meaningful today as they were 48 years ago.
2: You see, a fact is merely the absence of contradiction. But truth is the presence of coherence. Truth is the relatedness of facts. Now, it's the fact that we've come a long, long way, but it isn't the whole truth. And if I stop at this point... I'm afraid I will leave you the victims of an illusion wrapped in superficiality. And we will all go away the victims of a dangerous optimism. And so in order to tell the truth, it is necessary to move on and not only talk about the problem in terms of the progress that we have made, but also make it clear that we still have a long long way to go before the problem of racial injustice is solved.
0: The podcast is Archiver. The episode, Dr. King's Last College Stop. Me. I'm your host, Sam Zeff. King, of course, was right. There was, and is, a long, long way to go before racial injustice is solved. I'll play you more from his speech in just a little bit, but for many Kansans looking back, it may seem odd that this most prominent civil rights leader would find his way to a college convocation in the middle of Kansas.
3: Well, somewhat surprisingly, I think, for those of us from the eastern part of the state, uh, and Lawrence in particular, uh, is uh, the fact that, I don't, that you find that Manhattan was very much in the same melee of uh, social unrest and, and uh, political uh, consciousness during that period of time. If you don't
0: know him, that's archiver historian Virgil Dean.
3: I think comparing the two situations, it would be very similar. Throughout the 60s, you have, particularly in the late 60s, you have protests on campus, uh, especially having to do with women's rights, women's students demanding more equality, the right to participate in athletics, and that kind of thing. Civil rights movement are certainly uh, playing a prominent role. And of course, Vietnam leads to a lot of campus unrest and and the social turmoil of that day to the point where in uh, late 1968, in December, uh, there's an arson fire that uh, ultimately burns down um, uh, Nichols Nichols Hall, which was the gymnasium at the time, and it's attributed to anti-war involvement. Not that it was, uh, you know, affected every student or that you had massive numbers of people turning out to all of these protests or demonstrations or that they were even all that common. But certainly they were not uncommon and there were lots of different groups involved. Uh, K-State during, I think it was during, before this time, had formed a Students uh, for Democratic uh, Society, SDS Mm -hmm. uh, uh, organization. So they'd been involved in this just like college students throughout the state and the nation for a number of years by the time uh, Martin Luther King arrived.
0: Now, King didn't arrive at K State without concern for his safety or controversy. The president at the time, James McCain, was criticized for bringing such a radical to the KSU campus. The man who arranged the lecture, Political Science Department Chair William Boyer, received a threatening letter that he turned over to the FBI. So King's speech was part lecture, part sermon. The first part was laden with facts and figures and poverty, unemployment and education. But then King transitioned from lecture to sermon. He didn't have a speech, really, just notes. A King aide said the K-State speech was homiletics, the art of preaching. This is about midway through, and he just got done talking about nonviolent change.
2: But after saying this, I must say that it would be an act of moral irresponsibility for me to condemn riots and not be as vigorous in condemning the continued existence of intolerable conditions in our society which cause people to feel so angry and bitter they conclude they have no alternative to get attention and to engage in this kind of violence. What we must see is that a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years it's failed to hear that the promises of freedom and equality have not been met. It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, humanity, and equality. And so it is still true that our nation summers a riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as justice is postponed, we will be on the verge of social disruption.
0: As long as justice is postponed, we will be on the verge of social disruption. That was certainly true in 1968, but is it true today? We'll tackle that question in a bit, but first, let's listen to a little more of King's speech and hear from someone who was in Ahern Fieldhouse that day. King had just finished talking about his opposition to the Vietnam War, something that made him even more unpopular among white conservatives. But then his mood perked.
2: Now I must admit, there are times that I get rather discouraged in the midst of setbacks, in the midst of what I see as the constant vacillations and ambivalences of American white society. And there are times that some of us begin to wonder whether this problem can be solved. But ever and again I get out and I get around the colleges and universities of our country I get to talk with many of the young people, and I must honestly say to you that my hope is always renewed in those settings. I think that you who sit today under the sound of my voice may well have the answer, for it's the student generation that's saying to America that there must be a radical reordering of priorities. It's the student generation. They're saying to America, there must be a revolution of values forcing
4: America to review its values. You know, I think Dr. King could just, if he was at K-State in 2016, he could give that same speech again, get the same standing ovation.
0: That's Dan Likens, a lawyer in Topeka and the most Kansas guy that I know. We talked to him for our RFK archiver, and he was the one who told us about the King's speech in 1968. He took some of the photos you'll see on our website. He interviewed King that day for the student radio station.
4: There's a lot of problems in 2016 that were around in 1968. There haven't been a lot of changes the way we treat people. Uh, And I think that would probably, uh, if Dr. King was around today, uh, make him kind of sad to think uh, all these years we're coming back to where we were in the old days. You know, we're just not... uh, Treating people the way we should in in America, I mean, you, you really were spellbound because you know this is a great man that's speaking to us at Kansas State, and a lot of pictures were taken that day, uh, showing once again 99% of the people there were white students, and white or white people, and they were all giving him standing ovations. He had nothing that happened that was negative. That whole talk at Nathan Fieldhouse, it was all positive, positive. and during the interview, I know he. Uh, told, uh, to, when one question was asked, you know uh, what does coming to universities do to you? How does that affect you? And he said you know a lot of times I get down in the dumps, I get sad about what's going on in the world and then I come to places like Kansas State and, and get a reaction uh, like I got today. He says it just gives me energy. I just feel like I'm gonna go out and keep fighting, and never give up till we get justice for everyone.
0: As I mentioned, I wanted to talk more about that. Justice postponed. Justice for everyone. So I went to Kevin Wilmot, a filmmaker and professor at KU. Kevin grew up in Junction City, just down I-70 from Manhattan. And a man who has dedicated his art to race and social justice. We talked about what it was like for young black men in Kansas in the 60s.
1: It was, on the surface, not a bad place for black people but the 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 discrimination and the um racism was kind of um low-key and you know i mean that part of the state never had segregation signs it never it never had you know whites only you know drinking fountains kind of you know that whole thing that it wasn't that wasn't part of it but i remember as a kid you know walking down you know street with my mother in junction city and and there was this, you know, it was a, I think it was called a Good Eats Cafe, and uh, and it had this great smell coming from the place, you know. And I said, man, we should go in there. And she says, no, no, we don't, we don't go in there. And so there was like the kind of discrimination, the kind of segregation that there was was kind of you know, people that had lived there long enough knew kind of where you could go and where you couldn't go. Or You know, not that you couldn't go in, but you probably wouldn't have been welcomed. You know, you might've been treated poorly, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I always like to tell the story that when I was in fourth grade, when when King was assassinated and um, didn't, you know, so my, when, when it, you know, when the flash came across the TV and my mother started screaming, and she went outside and she was screaming and hollering my, my older brother my father and there was a man from the from down the street that was at our house at the time and they had to pull my mother in the house and she was just going crazy and crying and screaming and angry and, and uh, when they finally calmed her down i turned to my brother and said who's dr king and that's when i learned about dr king and um, and I went to school the next day, and I was that current events kid, you know, that always talked about, you know, you know what was going on in the world. And I, and I went to school, and I said—I raised my hand, and I said, you know, last night, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and my teacher said, we won't be talking about that. And And I think that had a huge effect on me because I don't think I've ever stopped talking about it ever since. <laughs> you know? I, I, you know, I mean, you know, my film CSA, I, I uh, Confederate States of America, I've always kind of seen, you know, the Civil War as a as a kind of a measuring stick in terms of how you measure progress in the country. And, you know, that that time when King was here, you know, it was clearly was a time when the measuring stick was was moving forward. And you felt like, you know, you I mean the fact that he's even in Manhattan tells you something and the politicians at that time, you know, were were far more moderate. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sure they weren't, you know, necessarily civil rights, you know, pioneers, but they, they weren't screaming against it, you know. And so that, that, that in a whole just gave you, I think, a, a, a safer feel for things.
0: And you don't think it feels safe now?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. And, and, you know, and because I think What's happened and the Trump election is the embodiment of it now it becomes the, the visual kind of, you know, symbol of it. But it's been this way. It's been heading this way for a long time in the state. And and it's, it's really kind of disheartening to kind of see the clock go back, you know. And I'm sure the people that are, are part of that say, well, that's not how we feel at all but it's not about how you feel it's about the actions that are you have been taken that make people feel insecure and and that's the thing i mean you know again the measuring stick from from dr king being in manhattan i mean that 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 made you believe that you know the country is going to go toward king's dream that 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 would maybe become the reality in american life and everything that's been happening in the last few years, especially in Kansas has told you that these people really don't believe in that dream, that, that, that the leadership, you know, doesn't maybe even understand the dream that they, they believe in a different dream. And, and that's the thing that's so I think so frightening to people that maybe there's another America that is growing right now. And, and certainly, you know, the president is, has become the symbol of that, and he talked a lot about that. You know, it's like when I think of America being great again, I think of, you know, uh, a multicultural America. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that it is King's dream that, you, that is the embodiment and the symbol and the, and the practical reality of what that dream looks like. I don't see that dream right now.
0: The only new thing in the world is the history I do not know. Harry Truman said that, and his quote kept rolling around through my mind as I read King's K-State speech. Truman, by the way, is a political hero of mine. Why haven't we learned what King tried to teach 48 years ago in Manhattan? Well, really big thinkers have failed to answer that question, and maybe we never will. But I suspect it has something to do with political leadership. So I'll leave you with this final quote, from Dr. King's speech. Ultimately, a genuine leader is not a searcher of consensus, but a molder of consensus, King told the crowd. On some positions, cowards ask the question is it safe? Expediency asks the, the question is it, it politic?
2: politic. Vanity asks the, the question, question is it popular? But conscience asks the question is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because conscience tells him it is right.
0: And that's Archiver podcast is produced by Matt Hodapp in the studios of KCUR 893 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Thanks to Kevin Wilmot and Dan Likens for sharing their thoughts with us and to K State archivist Cliff Height. Archiver is a co production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer. You can see pictures of Dr. King at K State and we'll post a link to the full transcript of his speech at fountaincityfrequency.com. And hey, if you like Archiver, Go ahead and leave a little review over there on the iTunes. For my favorite Kansas historian Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver.